Uh, welcome to Flipside. I appreciate you being here. I know there's a lot of places you could choose to be on Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to have a good time today. I want to welcome you here in this place and those joining us online in uh, Flipside South Valley. Welcome. Uh, you're part of the family. We're going to wrap up this series that I've titled uh, Life is Not a Sitcom. It's part six. We've looked at different uh, aspects that are prevalent in sitcoms and how life isn't like that. Uh, and so we're going to wrap up today with this, uh, this, this topic, this issue about joy and happiness. Now, it's easy to find humor and lightheartedness in sitcoms because we approach it from the position of, of joy and happiness and lightheartedness. Uh, sitcoms make it really easy and obvious to know what's funny uh, and when to laugh and when to put a smile on your face. Uh, that's not so in, in real life. Sometimes we get caught in this, in this weird position of, I don't know if I should be offended or, or, or laugh right now. And, and it's just, the, the thing that works about sitcoms, at least in the past, is this thing called a laugh track. And wouldn't it be a lot of fun if life had a laugh track to it, right? For, for the past nearly 60 years, sitcoms have included a laugh track so that it's obvious what's funny it's obvious what's lighthearted. It's obvious what's humorous. Do you know what the laugh track uh, was uh, created back in the 50s? And an Emmy-winning uh, sound engineer by the name of Charles Douglas invented what then was called the laugh box. And he was frustrated by the people watching sitcoms not knowing when to laugh. Apparently, people viewed the actors too seriously to find joy and humor in their performance. And so he had to tell them when it was okay to laugh and smile, and this really isn't a big deal, this is funny, so just go with it. And he came up with the, with the laugh box to give them a lens with which to view what they were experiencing in a lighthearted manner. Because he knew this, uh, that if you're laughing, it's real hard to be offended. And so it came with a laugh. So I want to show you now the difference between two exact scenarios and how much more lighthearted and fun it feels when it's accompanied by a laugh track uh, because life is not a sitcom and we don't have a laugh track with us. So I just want to watch this first clip with a laugh track. Here we go. <laughs> now, if life had a laugh track to it, we would know that, ah, eh, this is funny. This is, you know, it's humorous. It's lighthearted. It's no big deal. The problem is life doesn't have a laugh track. And we're left with these scenarios like, I, I don't know exactly how I should re be responding to this right now. And so I want to show you the exact same clip without a laugh track and see how cringy it is. Watch it. Isn't that weird? It's like, okay, wait, I don't know exactly the scenario I'm in right now, and it's a bit, I just don't know how to, like, what should I be bringing to this to give me some con? It's just different. See, the problem is life isn't accompanied with a, la a laugh track, and usually um, we take things way too seriously. The interesting thing to me is that current sitcoms no longer use a laugh track. Did you ever realize that? 
Current Sitra Adon Yud, that's a thing of the past now. See, the current, look, current writers and producers, they expect the audience to know when it's appropriate to laugh and what's lighthearted and what's fun and to not take stuff too seriously. They just expect them to know that. So, so laugh tracks aren't used anymore. See, writers are so creative and so good that, that, that the script of life on a sitcom is so well scripted that it's just fun. So they don't need a laughter. So here, here's an example of a current sitcom without a laugh track. And, and you'll notice it's just, it's just Did fun. Did you hit your head? No. It's the one I ran into. <laughs> so the fact is life is not a sitcom and life isn't scripted so funny. It's life. It doesn't come with a laugh track. There's no writers behind it just scripting things funny and lighthearted. And sometimes life just isn't that bearable. And so that's why I want to talk about this idea of humor and joy. Because humor and joy has got to come from somewhere different than a laugh track and by really creative writers. The problem is life is not a sitcom. Right up front, I want to make sure that we understand about joy, that my joy is my job. And your joy is your job. It's not other people's job to make us happy and joyful. That's our job. It's interesting when we look through the Bible about this topic of joy and happiness. Philippians 4.4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. It's a command. I'll say it again, rejoice. Nearly 400 times in the Bible, it talks about joy and rejoicing and happiness. And I want to suggest to you that joy may be emotional, but it is not simply an emotion because you can't command an emotion. And the command of Scripture is to rejoice. And when we look through the pages of Scripture... I find it interesting where joy is and what we're commanded to be joyful about. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. Knows what the Bible says. Consider it pure what? Joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, when you're up against it, when it's difficult, when it ain't easy, when there's no laugh track, when it hasn't been scripted funny, consider it pure joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking any. Consider it pure joy. When you face trials. Now here's the thing. We're not all going through the same thing, but we're all going through something. Right? There are trials and temptations of many kinds. In the Greek, when James uses that word trials, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of many kinds. It's the exact same word as temptations. And so what he is saying is consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whether it's a trial or temptation, 
consider it pure joy because you know that God's doing something good on the other end of it if you go through it well. See, there are trials and temptations of many kinds. There's trials and temptations in lack and there's trials and temptations in plenty. There's trials and temptations in singleness and there's trials and temptations in relationships. The key is to know which is which and what you do with which. Here's how you know. A temptation is designed by the devil that he might destroy you. A trial is designed by the father that he might employ you. That's how you know the difference. And once you know the difference, you know how to respond because they require a different response. Here's what you do. In temptations, they require resistance and trials require acceptance. And regardless of what it is, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Even though the devil is tempting you that he might destroy you, when you go through it with joy and perseverance and biblically, you know that God produces something better on the other side of that temptation than giving into it. The Bible says that God is faithful and just, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able and will with the temptation make a way escape that we will be able to bear it. So though the devil might tempt us in order to destroy us, God gives us what we need to bear up under that to come out on the other side better. Even when God orchestrates trials that he might employ us, we go through that with joy. Why? Because we know that on the other side of the trial, lived well is perseverance and maturity. See, it takes maturity to know the difference between a temptation and a trial. And it takes God, time in God's word to know the difference between a temptation and a trial. And that's why we talked about solitude a couple weeks back. That's where we grow up in faith, to know the difference between a trial and a temptation. Because it takes wisdom to know, is this thing I'm going through right now something I should resist because it's leading to my destruction? Or the thing I'm going through right now I should embrace because it's developing my maturity and contentment? We're told to consider it joy. Now, I, I, I find it necessary to define joy for us. Because is joy something we produce or is joy something that's produced in us? Is joy something we choose or is joy just something that we have? Well, let me give you a definition of joy. Joy is the attitude that responds to circumstances with contentment and satisfaction. It's the attitude that responds to circumstances with contentment and satisfaction because you know that God will use those circumstances, those experiences to accomplish his work in you and through your life. So it's the attitude with which we approach trials and temptations with contentment and satisfaction. Though it may be difficult in the midst of it, the contentment and satisfaction resides in the fact that we know God is using it and will use it to accomplish his work in us and through us. And it's that joy that we choose. Joy must be a choice. Otherwise, it cannot be a command. However, I'll be very clear, that while joy is a choice, it's an attitude that we choose to respond to circumstances with contentment and satisfaction because we know God's going to do something good. Though it is an attitude we choose, it is also a gift we receive. The Bible says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Joy. 
joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, justice, self-control. Against these things, there's no law. And so joy is a, it's something outside of us that exists within God that when we, when, we, when, we, when we come alongside God through faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit has given us, then he creates joy in us as part of the through the Spirit. So it's something that's given to us, but it is also something we choose. That's why the writer of James can say, consider it now. Consider it joy. God has gifted it to you because your relationship with him through faith in Jesus, he's imparted it, but until you enact it, you live without it. So consider what you go through, pure joy. See, the individual Christ follower must choose to activate the joy God has made available and provided. It's not natural to us. It's supernatural. I've been around church a long time. I've heard a lot of good church people talk about the difference between joy and happiness. Haven't you? Biblically, there's no difference. It comes from good-hearted people who just don't understand Greek. But biblically, there's no difference between joy and happiness. Literally, when the writer of James, when James says consider it joy, literally he means consider yourself supremely happy. Did you know that? Consider yourself supremely happy when you go through trials of many kinds. Let me ask you this question. Does God care if you are happy? I, I got you one of those places that I often do, don't I? You're like, I, like normally I would say no because that sounds really spiritual. But the way you're leading me makes me want to say yes. Does God care if you're happy? Yes. Have you ever heard someone say, you've been around church for any time, have you ever heard someone say, well, God doesn't care if you're happy, God cares if you're holy. You ever heard that? Yeah. Some of you church, you've been around church a long time, I've said that before. I've amen that before. That's preachable. But it's not necessarily true. Hey, hey, parents, have you ever heard this adage? that a parent is only as happy as their least happy child? As a parent, you understand that, right? Why is that different with a good, good father? The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of life. And that we being evil parents know how to give gifts to our children. How much more does the father know how to give, give, give gifts to his kids? I mean, how many parents would be completely content and could care less if their child was never happy again. Does that make sense? No. I mean, for those who think God doesn't care about our happiness, but part of the problem is that, is that they haven't remembered what they may have read in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 23. If you got a really good Bible, Matthew 25 is in it. So you might want to check and make sure that it's still there. Matthew 25, 23. To his kids, he says, well done. Now come and share your master's what? You, you, you Bible people better know this. At the end of the day, this is what we're working for. The well done, my good and faithful servant. 
At the end of the day, when we get to heaven because relationship with Jesus and having lived a faithful life on earth, the whole thing we hope for is well done, my good and faithful servant. The next part of it's really important. You better know it. Come now and share your master's happiness. God wants his kids to be happy. But careful. It's not that God wants to make his kids happy through indulgence. He wants to, his kids to be happy in sharing his happiness. It's a vast difference. God is a good father. And the vernacular, the, the, the intimate word for a daddy is Abba. And that's why Jesus would refer to his father sometimes as Abba. And Abba loves to give good gifts to his kids. But we have to be careful that we don't equate and confuse joy with pleasure. And this is what I think is at the heart of people saying that joy and happiness are different. So I think it comes from a good place, just a little misinformed. Like we don't want to equate joy with pleasure. See, we, des- we tend to desire temporal pleasure rather than true joy. So, so, so here, please understand that pleasure can be a partner with joy, but joy is not dependent upon pleasure. Joy is a powerful and necessary fruit of the Spirit and commodity of faith. Joy will do two things for us. You don't want to know what they are? Other than just put a smile on your face. Because sometimes joy comes without a smile. Well, I'll talk about that later. But joy does two things from the Bible, from what we know. Joy does two things. And this comes from the life of Jesus himself. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews lists the hall of fame of faith. All these incredible men and women. This hall of fame of faith. They made it the hall of fame of faith. And then Hebrews 11 is followed by what? Hebrews 12, good. And so in Hebrews 12, he, he switches from all these people to Jesus. And this is what he says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the what? For the joy set before him, he endured. Notice that. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who for the joy set before him, not only endured the cross, but endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's what joy does for you. Joy produces endurance. For the joy set before him, he what? He endured the terrible. Joy set before us produces endurance. I guarantee for all those times we've wanted to quit, cash it in, and give up, part of it is we've lost our joy. He endured the terrible, not just terrible circumstances. He endured terrible people. The second half of that passage, for the Jewish set before him, he endured the cross, and the opposition of mean people. How often, right? Have we allowed the opposition of mean people in our lives steal our joy? Too often, right? So many times we've been offended by an offensive person. So many times 
We felt the scorn of scornful people. Too many times have we let mean people steal our joy. Joy gives us the ability to endure. Just not bad times, but mean people. Nehemiah 8.10, do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This is important. Not only does joy give us endurance that we need, joy does something else. And I say it to myself like this, joy produces reductions. It's a reducer. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, endure the cross, scorning its shame. What that literally means is that it reduces big things into little things. That's what it means to scorn its shame. It means literally to think little of. So joy takes something big, powerful, horrific, and makes it a little thing in the hands, eyes, and economy of God. Many make big things out of little things. Joy reverses that and makes little things out of big things. See, without the joy of the Lord, we look at trials and temptations as big things bigger than us, and it's difficulty, and we don't like it, and it's too big, and joy set before us takes that big thing and reduces it. Because in light of God's kingdom, in light of his sovereignty, in light of his presence, in light of his joy, we know that he's working through that for our perseverance, maturity, and for a good purpose. Do you understand? Now, here's the thing. I'm going to walk you through my spiritual process this week as I was preparing this. I'm I'm, I'm, going to peel back the current a little bit and let you know what God was doing in me regarding this issue of joy. I realized this, and I think this will be helpful for some of you. I realize that we can't be happy while we're addicted to self-pity. We cannot be happy while we're addicted to self-pity. Here's what I know. <laughs> There's going to be somebody who's always against you. Right? Here's what I know. There's going to be somebody who's always going to let you down. Right? Here's what I know. There's going to be somebody who is always offensive, right? And yet you keep coming back to church, which I appreciate. I'm just saying. We can't be happy while we're addicted to self-pity. And then the Holy Spirit said, now, Carl, if that's true for you, then he told me this. Don't let your mood become your master. This one got me. See, there's some of us that God made like super authentic. And there's some of us that God said, I'm going to take the emotions inside of you. I'm going to put it right there on your sleeve. And there's some of us. It ain't hard to know if we're having a good day or a bad day, right? There's some of you that are emotionless robots, And you never know what's going on inside. But some of us. And the Holy Spirit told me, you have let your mood become your master for far too long. Be not a slave to sin any longer. If you die to that, how can you go back and be a slave to it? 
And I don't know when I began to believe that my mood was my master over my obedience of being joyful. But somewhere along the line that happened. And this week I thought, you know, that's something I got to let Jesus fix in me. And the third thing that hit me was this. I didn't put this down for you. I'm going to give you this one for free. I wasn't sure I was going to say this one, but, but it's so good I have to. The Holy Spirit told me, he said, Carl, consider what it takes for the enemy to unsmile you. Consider what it takes for the enemy to unsmile you. The enemy works through circumstances, through difficulties, through people to unsmile us and rob our joy. And, 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 so, and so the Holy Spirit saying, hey, Carl, you, you, got some, you got some work to do in this area, right? Um, but, you know, th- this issue, is, this, is a difficult, this is a difficult issue. See, as a culture, we're living in a very dangerous, with a very dangerous cultural expectation to be happy. It's very dangerous. See, what has happened with this cultural expectation to be happy. Social media has convinced a generation that if they're not happy, something must be wrong with them in their lives. And most people, I'm going to say this, and if this is you, so be it. Just take it. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it or pull my punches on this. Because this is true for many of you hearing my voice right now. Most people on social media, most social media users, post false narratives of how great the experience or life is because they become a victim to the cultural pressure to pretend like everything is fun and everything is perfect. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you've fallen victim to it. For instance, You go on a family vacation, and it is the family vacation from hell. (laughs) It's terrible. There's people with you you don't like. You have holidays are coming up. Y'all gonna go through this. You're gonna be around people you don't like, people you don't love anymore, people who aggravate you and frustrate you, and everything's gonna go wrong. And you know that if you invite people into the mess and chaos of your reality, they'll say, if that's you and your family, no thanks. However, that event, that vacation, is always and forever perpetuated for eternity through one forced, happy, smiling picture and a joyful caption, great vacation, love my family, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Right? If we're honest, we take pictures of everybody on their cell phones at different parts of the day doing their own thing, glaring at each other, complaining about the traffic, not liking the travel, complaining what they got to eat, and not want to spend time with each other and just say reality. The problem is we judge our lives, get this, based on other people's false narrative of social media presented through false filters 
of their greatest moments. And the result of it is we have a generation who's convinced that their reality is worse than everyone else's reality and have given themselves to things like depression because they've allowed a false narrative through false filters to determine their joy. I don't know if I've ever said before in this church, I think I may have mentioned it once or twice, how people need to get off social media. And how wise parents are those who have authority over and control of their children's social media accounts and usage. It will steal their joy. They will lack endurance. And little things will be big things. Does that sound like reality? See, it's the one who chooses joy, the expectation, the contentment, that God is working the trials and tribulations out for good. It's the, it's the one who is not a slave to their emotion. It's the one that makes it their own job for their happiness and joy. It's the one who is truly happy. We've got to remember, there's nothing wrong if you're not happy all the time. Please understand that. Now, now, correct me if I go, go do your Bible study, go, like Google whatever you've got to Google. You do your own research, but tell me, I don't think anybody in the Bible is happy all the time. I, I was truly trying to think that through this week. Like, who was happy all the time? I don't think anybody in the Bible is happy all the time. So it's okay not to be happy. See, joy, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to admit, like, Things are terrible right now. They've been terrible for a long time. It's okay to admit that. You don't have to, uh, yeah, you don't have to, have to wear a smile 24 If you wear a smile 24 7, I'm going to look real suspiciously at you because your life is not that good. See, joy can be about the feeling of being happy, but it doesn't have to be about the feeling of being happy. Joy isn't always associated with the smile. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was not a smile. It was a big deal, but it became a little thing because of the joy of the Lord. Because he knew there were you and I on the other end of that. Joy can include a feeling, but it doesn't have to start with a feeling. See, you can have a bad day and still be joyful. And, and, and so let, let me just... And, and I, I know what time, I, I'm almost done with half my message. So let me just, <laughs> let, 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 me, let me put this in context for the joy. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endured. Here's, here's what I want us to know. Whatever we set before us is what our joy is connected to. Whatever we set before us. See, joy comes from a position of what we put before. Joy comes from a position of what we put in front of us. Jesus put joy in front of him, and he endured the cross. He endured evil people, and he made a big thing into a small thing in the economy of God's kingdom. It matters what you and I put in front of us. Endurance is the result 
of what we put in front of us. Set joy in front of you, and you ain't never going to quit. Sometimes we got to find joy in the outcome, not just the process. And the only way we find joy in the outcome, not just the process, is to realize that the purpose of the trial, the purpose is good. See, if we believe that the trials and difficulties are for no good purpose, we'll lose joy and we'll kick against it. And this is why joy is a focus, not just a feeling. So, in response to those three things the Holy Spirit was telling me, He told me, He said, Carl, I want you to ask yourself this question. So this is what the Holy Spirit told me I had asked myself. It might be good for you. What am I setting before me? What am I putting in front of me? The Bible says the joy of the Lord will be my strength. I need to put joy in front of me. For the joy he set before him, he endured. For the joy he set before him, a big thing became a little thing in God's kingdom. See, here's what I know. It, it, it matters what we set before us. If I set your injustices before me, I'm going to be angry. If I set your offenses before me, I'm going to be offended. If I set your neglect before me, I'm going to feel unloved and unvalued. It matters what we set before us. And like Christ, we're to set joy before us. See, this is more difficult for some of you because some of you have a very high justice meter. Some of you have within you this feeling of, of, of the great disdain for injustice. And everything in you wants to create justice for people, those who have been trampled by people in society. So so many of you want, want to see biblical justice and social justice, like justice over the unjust. And for those of you who, who are wired that way, that God made you wired that way, and it's beautiful, but you've got to be careful because you'll struggle with joy. And the reason you'll struggle with joy is because what you set before you are the injustices you see. And rather than letting God be God, who is the God who will repay, who is it's his job, not yours, if you don't put that before you instead of the injustice, you will take on the, injust, the injunction to right the injustice. And you might be just. You're going to be miserable. And rather than the joy of the Lord being your strength, the joy of the Lord will be elusive. So it matters what we put before us. It takes great maturity to carry both justice and joy simultaneously. So ask yourself, what am I setting before me? If it's anything other than joy, you're going to grow tired. Your endurance is going to run out. And little things are going to be big things. Ask yourself, in the context of that person or that event that has robbed you of your joy, what is it you're setting before you? Let me wrap up with this. The things that are going to rob your joy, one of them we talked about already, setting before us things contrary to joy. It's going to rob your joy. The other thing is sin. Sin will always rob you of joy. In David's great confession of sin and repentance, in Psalm 51, 12, restore to me. After he's confessed this, after he's come clean before God, restore to me. After he said, God, here's all my junk. 
Now, restore to me the what? Joy. Why would he say restore to me my joy? Because sin robbed it of it. It robbed him of it. Restore to me my joy. His unconfessed sins what robbed him of his joy. In the parallel confession of the same sin, Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin, unrepentant and unconfessed, my bones wasted. Sin will always rob us of joy. And so, for me, I wrote out a prayer. And I want to share it with you. It may be helpful. It's based off of uh, Psalm 140, uh, 141.3. And, and, and I morphed it into this. Lord, put a sentry at my eyes to keep joy set before me. You've given me joy. Help me not mute it and help me to activate it in my life. Do you want to know who the most miserable people in the world are? Other than Democrats. No, it's good. You, you want to know who the most miserable people in the world are? Um, Christians with unconfessed sin. Righteous people who are living in the midst of degradation and sin. Most miserable people in the world. I'll prove it to you. Second Peter. Lot, the nephew of, of Abraham. A righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man, is a righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul. The most miserable people in the world are Christ followers living in the context of their own and others' sin without confession, without righteousness, and without repentance. And so I just gently suggest that if you're a Christ follower and you're not experiencing the joy that gives endurance, if you're not experiencing joy that gives strength, if you're not experiencing joy that turns big things into little things, it may not be true, but it may be because though you are righteous, there's ongoing unrepentant sin. And so come home to the Father. You know how confessing sin leads to joy? It sounds like, a, like, like, like counterintuitive. Like, if I admit my junk, how does that make me joyful? I just like, because at the moment you admit your junk, confess it and repent, comes a realization and reception of mercy and grace. And when you receive mercy and grace, in that is joy. So, invitation. Come home to God. Come home to the Father through the life of the Son. Experience His mercy and grace and begin to let the joy of the Lord be your strength and your endurance. This matters. I want you to pray with me, Father. You've told us to rejoice. So it's got to be a choice. And so those of us in this place who are yours, who choose to be obedient, we choose to rejoice. To choose the attitude 
of satisfaction and contentment in the midst of the trials and troubles that we're in right now because we know and we're choosing to believe that you have a good purpose on the other side. So we choose in this moment to rejoice. Though it's difficult, we choose in this moment to be people of joy. Though it's hard right now, we choose, even if it comes without a smile, we choose joy. Help us to set joy before us. And as we do that, give us endurance. Make us able to last. Rather than setting people's injustice before us, rather than setting people's offense before us, rather than setting people's wrongs before us, help us to set joy before us so that we last and so that the big things that we feel are mountains right now in your economy become little things. Help us set joy. For, and in that, Father, give us strength. Father, we love you. Friends, let me just take a moment right now. Look, if, if you're here and you have not chosen to confess your own stuff to God and ask his forgiveness, what? The Bible says today's the day. And so let that be today. In authenticity and honesty, say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I messed up a lot. And I cannot fix myself. I, I know that you have in view of me somebody different than who I am. And so I ask your forgiveness of my sin. Help me want and desire to follow you. And as much as I know how, I give myself to you. In that, God, give me a peace that passes understanding. Give me a joy that is my strength and a life that is abundant. Jesus, we love you. In your name I pray, amen. Here's what I'm, I'm going to ask. We talked about some stuff in this series, man. We talked about where problems that, they, that they, they don't go away in 22 minutes like a sitcom. And some of them are, are with us for a long time. We talked about money. We talked about intimacy and sex. We talked about our, our work life and the management of our time. We talked about solitude. Hearing from God. We talked about being people of joy. And I've talked to some of you, and I know that some of this stuff cut deep. And, and, and here, here's, here's what I'm going to ask. I, I'm going to ask, and I haven't asked, I haven't asked these people this yet, but I'm just going to put them on the spot. If, if, if those things have resonated, and you're like, you know what, I would love to, just to talk to some, to pray with somebody about this stuff. I want to do some ministry time. And so I got, I got two options for you. One, Sean's going to be out to start here booth afterwards. If you want to talk to Sean, let him talk and pray with you. I, I'd love that. If you just want to stay here and do that, I'm going to ask my friends John and, 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 uh, and Laura Addington just to stay right there. Uh, and I'll ask my other friends, Scott and Brenda, to come over here on this side. And if, and if you just want to talk with someone or pray with something about something, like, like Angela will be there, 
Matt will be there. Sean will be there. Like, don't walk out of here without like getting some ministry stuff done. I feel like it's been that kind of series that stuff struck. Let it take root and resonate now. You understand? Father, thank you. You're a good God. Let me bless your name. Blessed be your name. In the good times and the rough times, in the rising seas and the falling seas, blessed be your name. You give, you take away. Blessed be your name. We trust you in the good. We trust you through the bad. Blessed be your name. There's nothing we can add to who you are. You are who you are. You've just invited us into your presence. And in your presence, we say, blessed be your name. Amen.